Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of New Witch on Dirt. I'm your host, Evan McCrory, and this is going to be episode 14. I'm recording this on Tuesday, March 28th, 2023, and I hope you guys are doing good, and I appreciate all the love on the podcast, all the support, the numbers I'm getting every week, just the average number per week going up. Andrew Smith's podcast last week, despite the audio issues I was having, I thank you guys for sticking it through with that was my most listened podcast it passed another front wheel drive guy justin harris passed him as most listened and if you're wondering what third yes third is fergie but uh besides that point we had a bunch of racing this past weekend i was at harris speedway for the carolina sprint tour opener and later in the episode i'm gonna have sean vardell the he a pretty much owner and he runs carolina sprint tour he also runs his number 86 car he finished i think he got ninth this past weekend uh had an awesome interview with him you're gonna be hearing that at the end of the episode long interview i hope you stick through the whole thing it's really interesting uh figuring out how that series got put together how he got it how he got into racing and just all that stuff that relates to that and sprint car racing we talked about some of his favorite tracks he said some cool ones that you, you guys hear me ask people their favorite track most of the time and they usually say a couple couple of tracks you, you know what tracks we're talking about like eldora he said a couple that were very interesting so let's get into results the scdra was at tri-county racetrack for the little tar hill 40 laps five thousand to win and i'm just going to go through what happened your quick time on Friday night was Andrew Smith, last week's guest. Uh, maybe that doing much luck got to him a little bit. And then on Saturday, the 40-lap main event. I'm going to go through the whole... I'll go through the top 10 and all other notable names. For the feature, last after an incident, it was John Wyndham and his 65 had a issue around lap 7 with Isaac Gibson, I believe it was. And he, people are just, just hard racing, racing deal. Uh, rough start of the year for John Wyndham after uh, what happened down at Scriven. I, I believe he'll bounce back. He, he wins, he's won pretty much everywhere. I expect him to have a strong bounce back for the rest of the season with the SCDRA. Payne Pickles, 24th. Winter Freeze champion Brandon Gibson, 18th. Billy Tidwell, 16th. Eddie McGrew, 15th after he had a rack break and had a hard hit in one of the corners and flipped onto his side. Jerry Gibson Jr. 12th. Isaac Gibson 11th. KLD's 10th. Walker Wyndham 8th. I'm just going to go through the rest of the top 10. 9th, Justin Stevens. 7th, Lee Hutchinson. 6th, Josh Adkins. 5th, Reed Christensen. He is now your points leader. 4th was Shannon Barnhill. 3rd, the 2022 champion Newman Presnell. 2nd was... Andrew Smith and the winner in his first career SCDRA victory beating some awesome competition congrats to Brandon Dalton awesome for him getting that win in his 54 machine uh, really excited to see him and it, uh, the emotion he had after winning it you don't you, I, I like seeing the emotion from a driver and seeing how much they actually care how much uh, winning an event like that means to them let's go to another event we had the Cherokee Mid-East Nationals. That was 5,000 to win for the Mid, uh, Mid-East Open Wheel Modifieds with 602s in them. We'll go back to Friday. If you want more in-depth analysis of everything going on at Cherokee, listen to the Cherokee Chatter Podcast with William Richard. He goes in depth about everything. 
he's the one who does their social media and all their uh, a bunch of their online presence behind the scenes go give him a listen it's a very good in-depth podcast for everything at Cherokee if that's what you're looking for go over those results for the Mideast Modifieds their heats were won by I believe it was Jeff Robinson yep Jeff Robinson Kyle Strickler and third was Jesse Rocket in the Young Gun V8, it was Grayson Sutton taking home the win. Pure Stock was won by Ray Hudson, and Crown Vic was won by Mark Chandler. Let's jump over to Saturday to get those results. Shout out my race pass, always. <laughs> and for Renegade Sportsman, it was Jesse Wall taking home the victory in the 12-car main event. Devin Morgan taking home the victory in the street stocks. And Mid-East Modified in the 48-lap feature, it was Kyle Strickler, the high-side tickler, that did tickle the outside and did win that $5,000 check-in, took it home. Congrats to, Je- uh, congrats to Kyle and his team. Jeff Robinson was second. Third was Chase Cardwell. Fourth, Robert Poole. And fifth was Trey Stamper. E- uh, Ethan Wilson, sixth. Just, I'm going to name a couple other notable names through the field. Austin Self, 16th. Jeremy Steele, 18th back in a modified. Buck Stevens, 21st. Jesse Rocket went from 3rd to 24th. Preston Baylock, 25th. 604 late models. It was friend of the show, John Ruggiero Jr. taking it home. In the Carolina Mini Late Models, it was Brad Amerson taking it home. And in Thunder Bomber, Bradley Weaver, Extreme 4, Casey Tao. And that is it for Cherokee. Like I said, want more in-depth, go to the Cherokee Chatter Podcast and go support them as well. And now we're going to get to where I was at. I was at Harris Speedway, my hometown track. I grew up in Bostick, which is about 20, 25 minutes from Harris Speedway. Uh, just tripped down to 21. And looking at those results, uh, I'm going to go over Carolina Sprint Tour first because that's who I was there for. This their season over. We're going to hear more about that later in the episode with Sean Vardell. In the 25-lap feature, it was Steve Cerniak took it home over Johnny Petrozelli and Brandon McLean. Fourth, Richard Wisdo. Fifth, Jake McLean. Sixth, Brian Paulus. Seventh, Brianna Lawson. And one of her, I know she's done a little bit of three or five races, but still a great run for the 14-year-old. Uh, she's really looking promising. I'm excited to see um, how she does in the future and what limit of how high her racing career goes i believe she has a great family great team behind her she was also fastest in hot laps which i was very impressive she was two tenths faster than anybody jacob gamola eighth sean vardell today's guest ninth john frutchy 10th george blaney 11th robert tyler 12th and 13th with garrett palmer gareth palmer <laughs> sorry i can't say this australian names i'm just kidding <laughs> uh going over other results Thunder Bombers won by Madison Hoots, second Tyler Geist, third Tyler Riddle. In the Pure Stocks, it was won by Taylor Johnson, Ray Hudson, second, Nathan Pierce, third. Uh, they actually had two features, but it shows the same results. If that was the same three, you just heard it. Yeah. Four. Front wheel drive, it was Travis Moore taking home the victory. Futures won by Jamie Decker. Ford Outlaws, which was my race of the night. Josh Melton got the last lap pass over Jonathan Surratt, who ended up going to the wall in turn three and four, but Melton hunted him down through the whole feature. Uh, he, him and his 17 machine is really fast. Like I said, Carolina Sprint Tour won by Steve Cerniak, and Young Gun V8 was won by Ronnie Penson. And the last result, what... 
last two results of the night is or of this podcast I'm being over results is the weekly shows at East Lincoln and at Carolina Speedway. For East Lincoln and Renegades, it was Everett Dunlap taking home the victory. Pro four was Cody Verbo, so it was last lap uh, pass over Jerry Oliver. Shout out Cody. Thunder Bombers won by Dustin Thompson. Front wheel drive won by Alan Wyatt. And Blue Ridge Outlaw Late Models was won by Scott Shirey. Congrats to Scott on his big Blue Ridge win. I uh, got to talk to him for a little bit at Carolina during their season opener. Next Gen Kids was won by Colton Sam. Sam. Pure Stock was won by Chandler Barker. Now I got to switch over to Race Monitor to find these good old Carolina Speedway results. Okay, I got these for the Thunder Sportsman. It was won by Luke Ed- Edson. Edson. I'm sorry if I pronounce If you have a problem with how I pronounce your name, send me a message. Call me. There we go to get it right. I'm figuring out there's so many names. If I get you wrong, help me out. <laughs> Crown Vix was won by Shorty Lacey and then Jonathan Surratt second. Pro 4 was won by Dylan Warden, second Jacob Kinder, our boy Cody fourth. Super Sportsman was won by Andrew Baker. Lightning Late Models, Tembo Mangum. Thunder Bombers was won by Hunter Funderburk, Benji Knight second. Hornets was won by, obviously, Scott Cloninger. Won by a second over Chris Rometos. And the second Crown Vic Man of the Night was won by Jonathan Surratt. With Shorty Lacey going back to third. And that's it. That's all I got for results for this week. And, yeah. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy the interview with Sean Vardell. It's a long one. Stick to the end. Thank you for that. And I'll let you know at the end of the episode if I'm going to be anywhere this weekend and what races we got going on. I hope you enjoy. Today's guest is the driver of the number 86 for the Carolina Sprint Tour, Sean Vardell. How you doing? Hey, pretty good. How are you? Awesome. So uh, this past weekend, we had the season opener for the Carolina Sprint Tour at Harris Speedway in Forest City, North Carolina. And I think it was a pretty successful event. We had uh, Steve Cerniak win the main event. How did you feel about the event overall? I felt for, for opening night with everything going on in the country right now and having the the high, the high rise of what it cost to go race, and I felt it was a success. I thought um, it was. It, it, it really was. It was a pretty good show. Um, you know, pretty much every car that started made the, made it to the finish. We had one that broke real bad, one that started, I guess, leaked fuel right from the very beginning. But mm-hmm. other than that, I mean, you're always going to have a DNF every now and then. But for all, it was all good, competitive, racy, racy track i mean it was uh yes everybody was slicing and dicing i didn't know what to expect even as far back as we were we were off our game that night so yeah how did it feel to be back behind the seat of the uh, be back behind the wheel first time this year oh it felt amazing it's been it's been a long five months and i've been itching to get back behind it and then uh we thought all our ducks were in a row which we we went through uh went through the motions of hot laps and in the heat race and went out in a feature and just I couldn't get out of the throttle to, to woe it down, getting in the corner hard enough. And uh, I just, I didn't want to take a risk on wadding myself or anybody else up. So I just played it safe. Yeah. And I, I like That's to finish races. I do sometimes. Oh, yeah. yeah. No. 
that's that's the key about it just the consistency being able to bring it home and but knowing sometimes when you don't have the car just running just right that you just need to back it off and don't put yourself or anybody else in a bad position oh yeah um and we, we did have a good off season to go through everything but literally that car was a bare chassis a week and a half two weeks ago so mm. we were putting it all back together um we didn't miss anything it's just you know them them new 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 bugs and new jitters that get out when you put something together that that hasn't been together in a minute and just last minute stuff I've been working so much that we didn't really get to have a full blown off season to dedicate to what we wanted to. Mm-hmm. But, um, I feel our operation is still going to be one to compete with this year and we will, um, don't, don't put us in the background yet. Okay. So you pretty much put everything together and run the Carolina sprint tour. How did that come to be? And how has it progressed from the beginning to now yeah. down the road? Well, the Carolina Sprint Tour has actually been around for a long time um, with some other names and ventures on it at, at one point in time. Um, when it was introduced to me was about 10 years ago when Ray Evernham was running it as the Carolina Race Saver Group, and he oh. ended up stepping away from it, and a few drivers tried to take it on and run it, and it just, it's come leaps and bounds from where, where it was left off with them. Um, I've acquired it now. This is my sixth year owning it. Um, when we when we did it it just it kind of turned into who can put money in the bank and keep the thing going and then i ended up actually turning it into a a franchise name carolina sprint tour with um race saver and and imca um as the mother i guess you'd call the mothership behind everything we're using race saver rules okay and we and we um i just took the ball and i I work a lot. So I said, I, w- I wanted a place to race my car and I wanted it to be equal and fair. And the race saver rules is one of the best options to be able to do that because I know at the end of the night, I'm not getting beat by money or I'm not getting beat by a $90,000 motor. It's all about skill driving and, and, and knowledge about what you've got going on. Um, How does race saver even the playing field for everybody? Well, so with the way the engines are, all the engines, it's not what you call a typical spec engine because a spec engine, all these parts have to be to this exact. You can only buy these brands, this and this and this. The only thing we have is a set of heads that, that are bought from Race Saver, that are flowed, that are stamped, they're serialized. And then the whole process of the motor getting put together is documented uh, all the way from crankshafts weights all mm-hmm. the way to every part that's into the motor is documented but you're, you're allowed to run whatever parts you want as long as they fall within the measurements so you can run whatever brand name brand parts you want as long as the specs of them parts fall within the, the criteria that they've got to be within valve seat valve spring pressure within um, the um, the camshafts um, i guess you would call it the lobe separation the lobe heights Mm-hmm. Um, or, or valve valve lift in a more technical term, all the way down to um, crankshaft weight. You can only be 48 pounds or nothing, nothing less than 48 pounds, but you can be as heavy as you want. I mean, there's all kinds of different rules you can play with. Like on bigger tracks, you could build a motor with a heavier crankshaft, so it's like a freight train. And on a short track, <laughs> you can build one with a lighter crankshaft, so that way it's just a rocket that takes off. Okay. Um, there, it's so many different possibilities of mixed match parts that you can make an engine run. I mean, we've had we've ran races where there was five, $6,000 motors out running $30,000 motors. I mean, it's just, it's an equalizer because it's the heads mm-hmm. that are limiting factor. And then it comes down to set up and bucket the night. Okay. I, I really like uh, places like race saver really even, I like the even playing field for everybody. And I feel like it's not, it, it can't be 
evened out for everybody in all aspects of racing, like different levels. But at the 305 level for the sprint cars, I really think it helps out a lot, especially in an area of the country that's not sprint car country like PA or Ohio or some other state like that would be. We definitely suffer in the Southeast with the sprint car world because everything in this, everything down here is stock car country and or NASCAR country. Yeah. Anything or everybody that has any type of money whatsoever ends up going the NASCAR route because that's what, that's what they know down here. It's where they're going to yeah. go. It's where they're going to put their kids. It's where all the money and sponsorship goes because they're going to get their name out there. Where anywhere else in the country, you take sprint cars, they flourish because it's more than just stock cars in other parts mm-hmm. of the country, like Pennsylvania, Midwest, Illinois, Upper Cal- Upper California. Even parts of California, yeah. And it's like you get into them states where sprint cars and, and other forms of racing can flourish because they are the dominant sport. We're down here. We are a NASCAR country, and all these large tracks were built for stock cars because they were all about straightaway speeds. We're now... Mm-hmm. Our cars are going so fast and the suspensions on them are so much, there's so much geometry for them. We can put on a better show on a three eighths mile or a quarter mile track versus back 50 years ago when they were building all these, or or 70 years ago when they were building all these tracks, these half miles and five eighths down here Mm -hmm. were for stock cars and for, for sedans and station wagons to go out here and rub fenders on because they were finally barely getting up to a hundred miles per hour on the straightaways. Mm Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. Does uh, certain track types and styles help uh, you choose which tracks you want to go to and which tracks you might want to stay away from? Um, yes. Generally, even we are 305. We're a 1,500-pound car. We're 500 horsepower. The engines can't – they can handle – you can put them on a, on a half-mile, five-eighths-mile track, but it still starts getting into the separation of – who can, I don't want to say who can build a better motor, but it's mm. really hard on motors. I mean, I, I've been the Lancaster Speedway with 800 horsepower. That's super late I was about. <laughs> and watching them guys, and they blow motors up left and right out there just from turning mm-hmm. them too hard. So today's engine packages aren't really, it's hard on any engine whatsoever. But with what we've got going on, I really try to shoot for the three-eighths quarter mile. Yep. I don't, I'm not really huge on the half miles, but very selective. Um, if it's something like Lancaster where the straightaways are super duper long, I mean, I can't, we haven't ventured down the road, but I just can't see it. But if it was something like Charlotte where it's, it's just flat foot where the, the straightaway, yeah. it's like a continuous motion where it's not like you're just more sweeping corner. Yes. Yeah, I can. Uh, that's definitely something I think about when I go to certain tracks. Like I was at Lancaster a couple of weeks ago for the Carolina clash opener and just yep. hearing some of those guys don't have their stuff set up right and you're they're hitting the rev limiter going past the pit gate halfway down the back straightaway and you're yeah. like, um, oh boy <laughs> something's about to happen in a couple laps to that car oh yeah and and the thing with us is the the equalizer the rules are so well built i mean i just really enjoy it because it's the blue collar class i call i call us the working man series of the sprint car world i we can most of our guys can get three seasons out of a motor after it's been freshened up. I mean, anything I've mm-hmm. ever been around 360s, 410s, you're usually getting them refreshed every 12 to 14 nights yep, that's of racing. And that's $70,000 on a motor to refresh in it for another 12000 to 20000 depending on which option you go with. Where we can go three seasons, 45 nights or more on a refresh and cost 4000 to refresh it. And, I mean, to me, that is just way more economical. Our tires are cheaper. The rules keep it to where you don't have to run all the expensive stuff. It's just like, it's just, it's like having man jewelry. Like I personally, 
I love my equipment. I take a lot of pride in the stuff that I put on the car. Is it always mandatory? No. If I were to, if mm-hmm. I told somebody what to buy to go out and win a race, they'd laugh at me because you wouldn't have to have half the fancy stuff that I run on my car. But I, I like Smith titanium brakes. I like titanium bolts. But mm-hmm. as long as I'm running it within the rules, it's not mandatory. Mm-hmm. What happened the other night at Harris was somebody had a carbon uh, brake pedal that broke or something before the night even started. <clears throat> So a lot, a lot, to do, a lot to do with also blue collar racing classes is there's a lot of guys that are running hand me down parts and you can go to these second chance sprint car shops or whatever and buy whatever you want, which is great. But some of the stuff is so mileaged out that a lot of people aren't aware of what they're buying. Mm-hmm. And we had a competitor that bought a used carbon fiber pedal, and when he was going to get into the car, he stepped down on the pedal and it, and it broke off at his foot. So they were they had to do a quick lash up and put something back in his car just to have him to have him ready to go. But there there are certain there's certain common senses that's supposed to come with some of this. And there's you would never think a brake pedal brake, and you would never think a carbon yeah. fiber brake pedal brake. But now now we know. You know, it took somebody doing it for us to figure that one for yeah. us to figure that one out. I imagine something like that happens pretty regularly for you guys to figure out and just add that to your notebook in your mind. Uh, oh, can't do that. Oh, we have to do that a certain way. Yes. Well, I mean, it's like, um, like certain, like drive shafts or, or, or radius rods. I mean, to us, it's common knowledge to scrap them out, but to somebody getting new into this, they see a, t- a roller car. They don't know how many laps have been on something. And mm-hmm. they're like, I want to get into this. So I really, when somebody's wanting to get into this, I try to go above and beyond and help them research it. Or research the parts to make sure you're not getting junk. Because they're I don't discredit anybody, but sometimes people just want to get out from underneath something. And I'm yeah, not they, do. they don't disclose truth, but at the same time we, we gotta be honest here that it is what it is. Yeah, you know? and and you as somebody that's running a series and has to be kind of responsible in a sense for those cars that are on your track and your series, you have to it it's good that you put their interest, their best interest first too, to oh, help them out and build a, that you support me, I support you type of thing. And it really becomes a family. And that's what the Carolina Sprint Tour really looks like to me. Well, the, especially I can tell you the last, that's we really take a lot of pride in, especially over the last six years is building. We're a traveling circus. We are a big family. Um, my trailer has, a, it's a Hajj Mahal of all kinds of plethora of parts on it. Pardon, I, I'm having a hard time speaking right this second. But um, has I have so many extra parts on it, and I usually have an open door policy that if somebody needs something, we can figure it out later. Because I, I want to see everybody out on a track. Everybody works so hard to be here. Why does anybody need to sit out? And I've never told mm-hmm. anybody to know if they've needed something. And we are a big traveling family, and that is what makes us unique. Is down here, it's um. It's very hard to find that in this region because everybody, it's everything is so segregated of late models, modifieds, and then you got sprint car country. Yep. And when we go to these places, we don't have parts stores to go to down here. Yep. We don't have, you know, designated things for us down here. So we're, we're doing we're, we're singled out in our own way, but we rely on each other. And it, it's just it's a, it's a cool family to be a part of. And I just, I like to see it grow. I mean, it's the growth over the last, at least the last two years, even though under hard times with the the pandemic has been pretty phenomenal. We've had higher car counts in the past, but just the growth of people interested in it. And I mean, we had a world of outlaw, um, a world world of outlaw 
Top Gun with us this last weekend, um, Brian Paulus. I mean, it, yep. he, he was out there with us, and I, I asked him what he was doing banging the wall as hard as he was, and he's like, I was trying to tighten the car up, and I had never heard a driver smack the wall on purpose to try and tighten the car up before. <laughs> I laughed so hard when he said that. Uh, I've never heard of that either. <laughs> Even and he's like, I was trying to bend the watts link a little bit to make it tighten it up on exit. And I was like, you know how many times I've banged the wall here and I've never thought about doing it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> That's something you usually want to avoid. I, I don't know what he was thinking, but he, did you, do you know if it t- actually tightened up for him or not? <laughs> he said it didn't quite go as much as he wanted, but it, it did help it just a little bit. But man, he said he had a whole lot of fun. Um, we've been texting back and forth actually for the last two days now trying to get some stuff figured out because I think that um, there's some people interested in buying a second car. I mean, they said they had a lot of fun. It's local. Um, again, the 410 and 360 scene, I absolutely love it. I personally would love to go faster someday if the fun's ever met. And I mm-hmm. just I just can't personally justify spending oh, remotely starting $40,000 on a 360 motor and 70 to be competitive in a 410 motor and then still have to get seat time to do that. I just, yep. I, I love being five, six hours from the house and a, and a comp, the competition's really stepped up too, but in a competitive area where we're racing for pretty decent money on a, on a, on a regional regular basis and all these tracks we go to, they treat us like we're we're not just the normal blue collar. It's not that I, I just want to give back to these guys to where mm-hmm. they get that feeling because unless you make it to the big top gun series or the top series, you're never looked at as a race car driver in this era. Yeah. A hundred percent. I agree with you on that. And now I think just being that the lone sprint car series in the area, especially for the Carolinas, I know you guys are going to Georgia and Smoky mountain in Tennessee this year. Yes. Uh, but just being being a sprint car and people having that allure and like respect for those cars and really like some of the upper series drivers and that just being a lower series that gives you guys a little extra credibility I feel like and there's there's a guy that's not really a huge dirt guy uh, he's a YouTuber slap shoes he's doing like a um, short track racing tour across the southeast and parts of America this year. And I asked him what his favorite or which dirt race he was looking most forward to this year. And he said Carolina Sprint Tour at Sumter. Huh, yeah. And just he's like, I just want to see sprint cars. But I, I, I bet the only time he's pretty much seen them is probably World Finals or anything if he's ever seen them before. Right, right. And Sumter puts on a pretty good show. I can tell yep. you we've won there a few times. And we've uh, – I was there last year. <laughs> I, I had a – that, that one's salty. I mean, I did Ooh. what I had to do on that one, and I stepped down from it. I did the right thing, but it still hurt. That's when, a horrible thing to do because you won the main event, and then you had to end up take uh, put yourself the last car on the lead lap because you didn't draw at the beginning yes. of the night? Okay. So the, way, so the way our deal works is whenever you get there, you're supposed to draw a pill, and then your pill dictates where you start in a heat race, and then you move to the feature from passing points from the heat race. Well, we got to the track, driver's meeting was going on, and I was doing some officiating stuff for the series because we were a little shorthanded that day. And I don't draw my own pill because of there's, you know, the speculation. Sometimes yeah. wearing too many hats in one series, even though some people are like, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. I don't want anybody to have a reason to believe that I'm trying to cheat a system. Mm-hmm. So my crew was working on the car. I was doing some official stuff. The driver's meeting happened, and I looked down, and we realized that I wasn't even on the board because nobody drew for me. So Andy, our race director, which Andy Stapp's a pretty big name in the, in the whole sprint yep. car industry up in the Midwest, um, he said, look, we're going to have to have you start in the tail of the heat race, and that'll start tonight. 
And I was like, you know what? Fine. It's, it's part of repercussions. I'll, I'll deal with it. Went from the tail of the heat race. I think we finished second in the heat race behind Oliver. That gave us enough passing points to start on the pole of the feature. Um, little, we weren't thinking about it. Andy wasn't thinking about it. It was never brought to any attention. Um, all my passing points were still awarded. And then I, we started on the pole of the feature because of where we finished up in the heat <laughs> race because we acquired enough points. Walked away with the feature got it all done and over with, made it home the next day, and then all heck breaks unloose, and we find out that we should have probably started in the tail of the feature, and I went ahead and just ate it, and I said, you know what? It's, it's the credibility of the series is worth it more to me than it is to win right now. As a mm. matter of, I mean, if I, if Jeff would have had a faster car, he would have got around me. Yep, he would have. I, I watched, I was on race, I was staying on the back stretch on the infield, uh, looking at race monitor. I'm like, oh, gained a 10 on him that time. Oh, nope, lost half a 10. It was just, you're keeping. I, I don't know. That was a long while ago. But you were keeping the same same distance from him the entire race. I I remember that vividly. Yeah. So I mean, it was. I watched it, and I sit here and watch it. I was like, man, I've been one thing. And then, what was funny is Jeff afterwards was like, "Is your name still on the check?" Because I want it on there so I can put it in my shop as a story for the future. And I <laughs> kind of chuckled, and I was like, I wanted to say some unchoice words, but <laughs> my composure on it, and I, you know, it. Like I said. The, the series it means a lot to me because I want to run it how, as a racer, I want it to be. Yeah. I don't treat anybody in this thing any differently than I would treat myself. I mean, it's not the first time we've disqualified. I mean, I was five pounds light at the scales two years ago at Sumter, and I got DQ'd and had to start to tail the feature for that too. Hmm. So, and then we, and the scales were actually off. So after it was all over, they come back and said, "Laura, well, scales were a little bit off." And if you've ever been to Sumter, I ain't trying yep. to get some controversy going, but everybody has a problem with Sumter scales. Yep, I've always heard that. <laughs> Doesn't matter if you're Banjo Duke all the way from someone that's only been there once. I've heard stuff about the Sumter Scales for years. Oh, yeah. So, But unfortunately, they're, they're God. They're grace. Whenever we're there, they're not prejudiced. They don't know who's on the scales. They don't know. Yep. So anywhere you go, I mean, it's not like you can say the 86 cars on here, we're going to add 20 pounds or take 20 pounds away. It's just it's just the luck of how they fell that night or whatever whatever moisture was in the air that messed with the wiring that night, whatever gremlins were there. Yep. But it's all in good spirit. I mean, we've we've destroyed some cars, and it's it's just about the race. All I want to be is a race car driver, and that's where I got to where I am. So uh, how did you start in racing? Was it always sprint cars you grew up enjoying, and uh, where did you actually grow up? So I grew up in southern Illinois, and um, I grew up in Benton, Illinois, but I was born in Wisconsin, and my dad was a ethanol pioneer, an ethanol engineer. He um, actually owned an ARCA team when I was growing up, and he, he did several late models um, when I was growing up, like in my younger, younger years, that ran on straight moonshine that he had made in the still in the shop. <laughs> and um, he was behind putting ethanol into the first ARCA race and then ethanol into the first NASCAR race that was supposed to have been a Brickyard 400. And they were in a car accident when we were younger, and we ended up losing a lot of, lot of um, the team and, and just through lawsuits and whatnot. They were actually here in North Carolina, and they rear-ended somebody. And when you hit somebody, it automatically your fault. Long story short, we fell out of racing for a while. And um, my, my parents started a racing newspaper and a website called RacerView.com and Heartland Racer in the, in the southern Illinois region that ran on um, a lot of local broadcast shows that would cover like Paducah, Kentucky, um, uh, Peavely, Missouri, Tri-City, mm -hmm. Belleville, all the Midwest, you know, have a Tampa scene back in them days. And my parents would do that, and then in turn, we were able to and trace an advertisement for me and my little brother to start racing go-karts at a young age of 12 and 13 years old. 
Um, we did that in Sykeston, Missouri for a few races and then Anna Jonesboro, Illinois. And we did it for one year. And then mom had, mom had gotten pregnant with my younger sister and had come down with cancer and we stopped racing entirely. Um, we just couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. And that, after that, dad said, if you want to go back racing, you're going to have to figure it out. So as I got older, I was helping some guy named Stu Springer out of Illinois for a while. And, um, I got accepted at age 18 to um, come down to the NASCAR Technical Institute in Mooresville. And at the time, we just didn't think it was right for an 18-year-old to just take off, move halfway across country, maybe lock his keys in his car and not figure out how to get back in it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I waited a few more years and hadn't been racing anything. And I moved to Mooresville, started at a school at the age of 23. And I always talked a big game about wanting to race, but just never put it together. And a good friend of mine said, hey, I'm going to throw you in an outlaw cart. I had no clue what an outlaw cart was. I, I didn't even know anything about it. And at the time, it was Steve Cerniak, which was my good friend's guy that he was helping. So my, my buddy Pete Rizzuto was crew chiefing for Cerniak on an outlaw cart at Millbridge Speedway back before Millbridge became Millbridge. Yeah. And Jeremy had just acquired Millbridge. And, you know, me and Jeremy had been friends throughout the entire process from race teams because I was working in racing while going to school. And I knew the Hoffmans from whenever they used to live up in St. Louis as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a small world moving down here. And yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> so um, Pete Rizzuto rented a cart from Kyle Beatty one night, Bear Creek. And next thing I know, I've never been in one of these things in my life. And 450 pounds with a 500cc CR motor on it. And I was like, oh, I bit off way more than I could chew. I do not have mm-hmm. enough experience for this. And luckily the transformer on the racetrack blew up that night and we didn't get to uh we didn't get the race in but we did set fast time in the heat race and and i just it was just kind of natural and i really fell in love with the open wheels with it well when the transformer went out on the track our rental stopped because we couldn't get it finished the next night mm. so we uh, uh the two weeks later to make up for it bd let me jump in at the uh atlanta georgia dome for monster jam they were doing a big expedition race in there Okay. I hit a monster truck ramp running second and flipped it upside down and ended up having to buy the cart that night. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So I don't that's think I've where... ever heard that type of story before. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I've tore up stuff, but due to lack of experience, but we learned, I knew how to go fast. I just didn't know how to control the fast. Um, but we uh, ended up buying the cart and I ended up sticking with it for probably four or five years running at Millbridge and running with what little traveling series we tried to do, go up to Illinois to Elyville and won a race or two. And then, um, never, never did get a Wednesday night feature win at Millbridge, but we had a few, a few winter, a winter races, but we did a lot of the, um, the, D, the way they had the speed sport and the give back stuff that was going on at one time. Mm-hmm. We, were, we were there, we were contenders for some stuff, but we were just underfunded when you got a hundred carts showing up. But, um, I met, uh, my wife now seven years ago and she was at the racetrack and I was a little horizontally challenged versus some of the younger kids we were racing against when, when the weight rolls 450 and you're already coming in at 525, that's a, uh, yep. <laughs> a little bit of a gap. So my wife was like, why don't we look at something bigger? And then that's when my boss actually my boss my texas boss sponsored me the sprint car and said we found one on facebook marketplace and i went out and bought my first sprint car and that's where i've been ever since where was your first sprint car race 
So we entered at Antioch, or we entered at Antioch Speedway, and it was still mm. the Carolina Race Saver 305 Tour. Um, we entered. I, I'm trying to remember the actual year. So we bought the car, we entered the race, and the engine blew up during hot laps going into the heat race. So we didn't really get a feel for it. Um, we built a new engine on the off season, so this would have been going into 2017, 2018 something like that. And then we ended up building a new motor for it, put it back together. And then we went to Sumter and ended up winning the race there against Steve Cerniak and um, Mike Lara. So that was my first actual sprint car career start in a feature and won it. And then we, we just went from there. And I think we took rookie of the year home that year. That's amazing. And then when did you officially take over? And- so I had taken it over. So between the time when the motor blew up, so the February, January or February of that year, we all had a big meeting. All the race saver drivers and sprint car drivers in the area had a big meeting in a hotel room in Charlotte. And we all sat down and was trying to think of how to make this thing move forward with some sort of management because there wasn't any sponsorship at the time. There wasn't any real guidance at the time. It was just a bunch of people trying to figure out which, which way to bake a cake and which way to do it faster. Mm-hmm. And after the meeting was over, a few people come together with like minds and then I volunteered and I said, how about we go this route? I'll start a bank account. I'll put some funds into it and do this because at the time, nobody wanted to put any money into it. So I said, I'll take the leap of faith because I already got this much invested into a car and I wanted to go race my car and I didn't want to see this thing sink after I just invested into a new motor, a new car, new, all this (laughs) stuff to do it. Plus it was the only thing alive at the time. And for the first year, silently, I, I, I kept it under wraps that I owned the deal, but at the end of the year, Mike Sellers, after we won the rookie of the year, Mike Sellers was doing a lot of our race directing for us because he was, he was a driver, but he didn't have his stuff together and needed a motor. So he traveled with us as a race director and kind of handled all the track scheduling and whatnot. So he was my partner on it, but I handled all the finances and sponsorship and tow money and, and, you know, get us, shirts and whatnot and tried to do anything we could to make money with the series Mm -hmm. um it transpired into that so from that meeting forward for the first year it was kind of like hush hush on the table because i didn't want a whole lot of people to know that it was a driver doing it and then i i really got to thinking about it i was like tony stewart does it with the all-star series so why can't i do it here exactly um there there's always going to be somebody criticizing our drama behind it but at the same time you know I'm an open book. I'm not, there's nothing here I'm doing wrong, not cheating any way possible. Heck, the Pennsylvania guy come down and checked my car and he's like, I can't find nothing illegal on here. And I was like, I know because I have to be held to a higher standard than the rest of the jokers. Exactly. So was it pretty well received amongst the racers that were there that were, that found out towards the end of the season that it was you? Um, some of them thought they had an idea and then some of them were super grateful for it. But then we you're always going to have some lashback yeah um most of the lashback is is just my envisionment of where i want to i i i am all for a racer just wanting to show up and play and have racing but i'm also super competitive where if you're not bringing your best why aren't you giving your best you know we're all racers here this is the last dying breed of a chariot racing is what we are doing right now Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes my passion for it can be a little overdone and not everybody receives it the same way yeah, I, I feel like the more passion you got into it and the more effort you put in, into it because of that passion, that that's the way you want it. And I feel like most of the best way stuff turn out is from that over amount of passion. 
Absolutely. Well, I mean, you walked around our pits this last weekend for a bunch of 305s. There's a bunch of good-looking cars and good-looking equipment and people yep. taking pride in their stuff there. Um, you don't always have that. I mean, I'm all for the guy that just wants to show up and race and have a good time. I really am. I have nothing against them, but I'm also all for the same guy that doesn't wash their stuff is the same one that kind of complains about why they're not winning races. Exactly. You know, it's a full-time job in the shop to work on them things just as much as it is to race them. Yeah, I fully agree with that. Uh, before we hop off of here, do you want to yeah. shout out any people, anybody that helps with the Carolina Sprint Tour or you and your car behind the wheel and just uh, well, anybody that helps, helps you all get to the track? I've had a lot of good help this this year coming into it. We've, I mean, I've, I've had some stuff come out of the woodwork of people just wanting to just to help out a little bit more than they, than they could have in the past. Um, CJ Evans is a, is a good buddy of mine and, and Taylor Weld over to TJ Forge. Uh, they've really helped make some things happen this year for the car as far as parts and whatnot with everything going on in shortages. Um, of course, I have to thank my wife because without her support, mental, physical, and everything else, I'd probably be in a nut house. I'm not even a liar. I'd be running around like Tyler Walker. We'd figure it out later. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have to throw that in there. So it's, it's funny. Um, and then, um, just, just super blessed. But we've we've got a lot of great tracks on the schedule this year. We're dipping down in the, down into Georgia, going to Tacoa, Livonia, and then we're also trying the Smoky Mountain region. And Tennessee boys are begging for us to come there more and more. We're just we're just trying to put this thing together the best we can. And I'm just super grateful for everybody that's around us helping us make it happen. Awesome. Well, uh, your next race is going to be it's April eighth at Halifax. Halifax Speedway, and we're bringing the Easter eggs and the candy. Awesome. So bring all the kids out that night. That is the night before Easter. So yeah. Yeah. Sean I mean, the boys is, are going to have all the eggs and candy for the kids. We didn't quite think about that when we were putting it on the schedule. I forgot that it was Easter weekend because I mean, right now it is one hat wearing many. I got, I have yeah. people helping out in a lot of places, but during the off season, it's one hat trying to figure it all out to keep the cost down to the drivers. But we, yeah. um, it is Easter weekend, and that's one thing that we, we definitely like to take pride in as the series is try to get the, the kids involved as much as possible. There was, I mean, there's times at Lakeview when we had power outages or something like that. We're out there tossing a football in the stands with fans, and, I mean, just many drivers are out here tossing around on the front stretch, and frisbee throws, or we had a foot race at, uh, what was it, at Lawrence last year where the racers, <laughs> where all the racers lined up on the front stretch, had a foot race, and George Loops whooped all of us. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh yeah. Sounds like but, it sounds like you guys just always have fun. Just doesn't matter what type of way, it doesn't matter the situation. You guys are gonna find some enjoyment and in, in oh, the the camaraderie. I mean that's what yeah. makes it that's what makes it fun. I mean, even even all the way down to putting stickers on each other's cars or haulers. I mean, you may walk up on somebody's hauler and find four or five different stickers put upside down somewhere you didn't know it was, was before. <laughs> we, we like to play Easter egg hunks on each other's cars sometimes without harming somebody, of course. Yeah, obviously. But, I mean, it's it's the camaraderie. It's the funness behind it. I mean, it's it's like the good old days of what the old the old racing days used to be. That's what I love about it so much. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks, Sean, for coming on Dune Sean Dirt podcast. I hope to see you guys uh, pretty soon. Uh, I got my other series and other stuff I, oh, yeah. uh, I got to go to, too, but Hopefully, I'll see you guys in May. I think you guys are doing a Friday-Saturday run where you're at Lawrence and Travelers, maybe, or Lawrence? Um, uh, I, I, I think it's uh, – I'll have to bring that up, but I believe it's – Okay, Travelers. I got it right here. Maybe. Yep, 
May 5th. I'm going to hope to try to make it that Travelers Rest. Okay, the Friday, Saturday weekend I was thinking about was uh, May 19th. They're going to be at Carolina and then the 20th Cherokee. Yeah. Okay. And, and so you have a couple uh, – just a uh, random question. You have a TBD date still for May 27th. Is there any progress or, or any idea what track that's going to be? On the May 27th one, we've actually added – so Tacoa – has been moved to the 24th of June. The May okay. 27th has been pulled off, um, but our other 2BD will be October 5th. It's been moved. It's not on our schedule as official yet, but on October 5th, which would be a Thursday, we're looking at a potential three-day show, so it would be the night. That's the 2 be determined, and then we would roll into Traveler's Rest and then end up at Harris, and that would complete our championship yeah. weekend if everything goes as planned. Okay. But I can't release that information yet because when it does, it's going to break the internet. So probably going to be 60 oh, cars no. show up. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay, I have an idea. <laughs> it's, it's, I, have a very va- I have a very vague idea of what you're thinking, and I agree, it will break the internet. <laughs> yes, I mean, we did it last year. When we when we announced Wilkesboro, there was already 40 pre-entries whenever it yeah. announced it. I, mean, I, wish they, I wish they would have been able to do that. I, yeah. I, I love how what they're doing with Wilkesboro and getting it back for the Cup All-Star Race, but that would have been such a sight to see. It would have been something different. I mean, the fact that we were being able to be a part of it was going to make history. I mean, I learned from the best. I'm not going to lie. I've had some good mentors on the promoting side. I've learned a lot from Cody Summer and Jeremy Burnett. Um, Cody is the, the head honcho behind the Gateway Dirt Nationals. Mm-hmm. And Jeremy is Jeremy and Ashley Burnett over at Millbridge Speedway. And I'm all about, I like surprises. I like to surprise people and then pulling things off that they said they can't be done. That's like all the indoor racing we've done over the years. People didn't think it was possible and we've done it. Um, I mean, with them, with them folks, I wish someday we could get three Oh fives in a, in a dome somewhere, but I just don't think it, I, I knew it would draw a crowd of cars. I don't know if it would draw a crowd of people because it's, it's just super late model country up there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I a hundred percent agree, but I'm really excited to see how the season goes for Carolina Sprint Tour and all the awesome plans and tracks you guys oh, yeah. are making it too. I'm excited to see how you guys run at the new configuration of Smokey. Oh, man, I cannot wait. We have been going back and forth on that. I've been watching videos, and I want to go up there for a test so bad. But we are. <laughs> um, I am excited to be able to go there and break in on that track. That is going to be fun. One last question before I let you go. Yes, sir. If you had to pick one track that you've never been to and would be a dream to race on, what track would it be? I ask everybody this. One track that I haven't been to. One track I have been to that I haven't uh, raced you, on? You haven't. And you, could, you could have been at this track as a spectator. It doesn't even have to be a – you don't even have to be in a sprint car at it. It could just be any track that you would love to race on. I would, to be honest, I would love to do – if yeah, I've got two and it's always been on my bucket list just because it's my father and who he was. I've always wanted to run to coin in Springfield, Illinois, because they're mm. the last true miles left on the circuit, either an Arca car or a USAC silver crown car. When I think of Arca there, I just think of that crazy flip that buddy Kofoid was yep. uh, involved with last year. But yeah, th- those are legendary tracks. You go all the way back to the 80s and the 70s, way, way before that, fi- even 50s. I don't know how long they've been racing there, but that's just one of those iconic tracks, especially if you're related around Silver Crown and yeah. uh, I mean, we, all those cars. We, we grew up around that area. You know, I mean, dad and my dad, close friends with Cliff Cockrum and then, and then AJ Foyt and, 
and all them guys, you know, run those two specific tracks. And I always said I wanted to grow up and do it. And eventually, I mean, it's sad to see that the Indy Mile's gone. And to know that these could be the last dying days of those two tracks, it's on my bucket. I hope not. Do you have, uh, okay, so those were your two, DeCoin and Springfield? Yeah, one of them two to run one of them two cars in one of them two series. I'd have to say the coin or Springfield in an Arca car or a Silver Crown car. That is where that's that is one of my ultimates. I could say Eldora. Anybody could say Eldora. Yeah, everybody says Eldora. I was about to say that. Pretty, I would say probably out of the ten people I've asked on the podcast, I'd say eight of them have said Eldora. Seven, but every time they say Eldora, I make them choose another two. I'm like, okay, everybody says that. Pick, give me something cool. <laughs> But I've also, you know, I'd love to turn, growing up, I grew up around Gateway, and I remember there was a time Kyle Petty said that there was never going to be a cup race there, and now cup is there, and Gateway is a bad, fast rink. I mean, yes, it is so tight in one and two, and it's just wide open through backstretch three and four. I I just couldn't imagine the amount of brass it takes to actually hang mm-hmm. on in that thing in, in a big horsepower car. I'd love to do that one, too. I'll so love there's three that. tracks in my home region that I'd love to rip laps around. Mm-hmm. What track is that? Oh, no. Just so, those? Th- oh, okay. G- Gateway. is So Gateway, yeah, DeCoin, Springfield, and yeah. I'd probably say qualify and run at Peebly. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> I I go back like once a month at least to watch that Kyle Larson lap in 2020 when he broke oh, the track record. And just how crazy Johnny Gibson was going. That was that was electric. Oh, that was there. There is no other feeling than that. That's one thing I absolutely love about qualifying is and World of Outlaws. There is no other feeling of that one on one with that car and driver mm. making that go. And just to hear me yell quick time or even quick time. <laughs> all up in the feelings every time it happens. It's like, oh, that mm-hmm. just chills just to think about the amount of mental focus you have to have to do that and just do it. Yeah. And Johnny Johnny Gibson, he he's one of the things that just makes the world of outlaws the world of outlaws in general. Oh, absolutely, he and is the man. He is one of the top gems of all of racing. It doesn't matter if it's dirt asphalt. He is one of the top people that I respect and his his work he does. Absolutely, you you got that one nailed on the head. Yeah, but no, I appreciate you bringing me on the show. I'm here anytime. Come on out anytime, and um, look forward to meeting you and seeing you some more. Awesome. Well, thanks, Sean. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye now. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Sean Vardell. He was awesome to talk to. I really learned a lot about how he acquired and runs Carolina Sprint Tour, and how sometimes he has to he has to hold himself to a higher standard and about every aspect to really keep it fair and i enjoy hearing those type of conversations it i feel like that's the type of conversation we really haven't had a lot on here so far and i enjoy it so we are going to get into the racing that we have this upcoming weekend of march 31st and april 1st for friday the uscs is going to be at traveler's rest speedway and then on Saturday the 1st, they're going to make the trip over to Cherokee for the place your mama warned you about. Running an event there for those 360s. The only other show for my featured series and uh, racetracks is East Lincoln Speedway has a points race. And with... Um, no, I was about to say the open wheel modifies it. They're not. Okay, I had to double check myself because I know better. Blue Ridge will be at Lakeview for a Lakeview season opener, and Sumter Speedway also has a season opener. And there's a chance you'll find me at Sumter, just covering, just hanging out, just actually enjoying the racing more than I'm able to, I feel like. But I still enjoy all my time at the track. I really do. I just wish there was more time that I'm able to just 
sit back, chill with a beer sometimes. It's <laughs> uh, one thing. Uh, I'm, I'm going to get that out of my system at Eldora later in the year. I promise you that. You, you, me and the boys were putting together some plans of some content and stuff we're going to do. Um, yeah, I was right about the American Racer Modifieds. They're going to be at East, not this weekend, but the next, the 8th. And so, I hope you guys are able to make it to a track this weekend. And also, there might, don't 100% hold me to it, but I have another interview that I'm going to be recording after this that could be a bonus episode for the week. Could be. He's a uh, weekly division driver that ran a couple of different types of cars. He's gotten a couple of victories over the past couple of weeks at two different tracks. Uh, you could probably guess who it is if you pay attention to some stuff, but... He's running late models, mostly Thunder Bombers. He's running on asphalt a little bit. And i uh, going to talk to him. And if it doesn't make it as a bonus episode, it will be the episode next week. So the episode that will come out April, probably 3rd, April 4th. It depends. If I already have it and I'm going to get it uploaded, it will be out the 2nd or the 3rd. There's a chance I can upload that Sunday. But if not, expect the episode Wednesday or Thursday. It's Tuesday right now. Yeah, uh, I appreciate all the support on the podcast. I do. I, I feel like I'm, feel like I'm beating a dead drum just thanking you guys. But and I just really appreciate how much this has started to grow over the last three months. I've been, I've started doing, and and okay, just for people that have made it this long. If you don't know what a doing is, it's a sandwich I made when I was in high school, and a little bit of a nickname with my, with my buddies kind of stuck, and. Yeah, I just kind of, I was trying to think cool names for this. I'm like, yeah, I'll go by Dune Witch again. And some people just call me the Dune. You can just call me Evan. You can call me Dune. I don't care what you call me. But if you appreciate what I'm doing, go drop me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Dune Witch on Dirt, D-U-N-E-W-I-C-H. I hope you guys have a great week. I still have a bunch of stickers and, and some stuff I got to mail out to people. But if you want some stickers, I'll be making a mail run later this week. Um, yeah, just send me a message. Also, if you're looking to sponsor a podcast or sponsor me being able to get to the track and bring you guys content, I'm always open. My DMs are always open. And, yeah, like I said, just have a great week. If you have any ideas for anything you want me to do, send me a message. Any voice messages you want to send for me to answer my podcast, I'll do it. Uh, with that being said, be a friend, tell a friend about the podcast, and uh, have a great week.